0: Well, good morning. Wow. Intense. So, uh, as Ben said earlier, my name is Brian. Uh, I'm a math teacher, so I love teaching math. Uh, And as you might have guessed, I also am a fan of Lord of the Rings. It's the two towers, in case you're wondering. I didn't officially add it to the work cited or anything on the back of the notes there you might have. Uh, So, um, we just watched the scene, and and I I think sometimes we're a lot like King Théoden right? King Theoden, he was that withered old dude, and, uh, where sometimes we listen to bad advice, all right? Like, King Theoden, he was, he had this little slimy-looking character, Grima Wormtongue, as part of his council, and he was trying to manipulate and rule the kingdom and, like, subject authority and, uh, and really just bring, like, enslavement to the people of Rohan. I'll try not to use too many, like, Tolkien terms there, but, uh, but yeah, so so sometimes we're a lot like King Theoden, where, where we're listening to the wrong people. We uh, believe the wrong sources, and, and we, or sometimes we just don't know who to believe, and we just kind of take the average of all of the stuff that we hear and assume that that's close enough to the truth, right? Where we just, I'm going to average what Wikipedia and Facebook and my friends and my mom says, and just assume that somewhere in there is the right thing, right? And uh, so... So how many here have ever gotten really bad advice? Like just really bad advice, okay? Right, so, so pretty much everyone. Hopefully you learned from that experience, right? Good or bad. Maybe you followed it and realized, I'm never doing that again, right? Or, or maybe, maybe you realized that somehow you were able to intuit the fact that it was bad advice from the get-go. Uh, now now raise your hand if, if maybe you've recently been getting bad advice, but you don't yet realize that it's bad advice, Okay, so you're probably like, like, wait, well, I, if, if I realized it, then, you know, to, to verify to the fact by raising my hand. Right, that's the problem. We, we wouldn't know if it's bad advice yet, right? Like, we're not sure, so, so that's the problem, right? And that's kind of what we saw with King Theoden. We don't always know when we're hearing something that's bad for us, all right? So neither did King Theoden, right? He was manipulated, and he and his kingdom suffered for it so, so besides my liking Lord of the Rings, the reason we watched this clip today is it's actually related to, and possibly even inspired by the passage we're reading in Acts 13. Okay, which is uh, by the way, if, if uh, so, we can turn to that in our Bibles or on your little app that you might have, right? you version of the Bible or Olive Tree or whatever. Uh, if you're interested in getting a Bible, uh, we do have them available. Just raise your hand, and uh, Zach will be glad to get you one. And uh, if you're using one of the Valley Town Bibles, it's on page 789. All right, in this in this version, that won't be helpful if you have a different Bible. By the way, I'm not trying to trick you. Uh, so yeah, or Acts 13. So let's read. So this is about Barnabas and Saul, who right Ben preached on last week at the beginning of Acts 13, about they were just uh, kind of sent out from their church in Antioch. And this is verse four. It says, "So being sent out by the Holy Spirit." They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, which, by the way, Cyprus is about 140 miles across. So it's a long journey, preaching the gospel. Uh, Let's see. As far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet, named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked at him intently and said, "'You son of the devil!" For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Wow. So let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that uh, your Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. That the Bible is the inspired word of God. Although it's written by 40 authors, you were the common source for all of it. You made sure that it endured through history. That it would be available to us today. And that we get to know you more as a result of it. So I pray that uh, today your word would be proclaimed, that it would not be my words, but uh, that you would, Holy Spirit, speak through me, and that we would all be changed and become more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the first point uh, that I've got on your notes there is that we are sent by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the word of God. All right? We are all sent to proclaim the word of God. Right? Because it said in verse 4, it says, So being sent out, Paul and Barnabas, they went to Seleucia, Cyprus, Salamis, right? And they proclaimed the word of God. Who were they sent out by? The Holy Spirit, right? So this is God's endeavor. This is God's mission and objective. Not just some whimsical idea, like, you know, between Paul and Barnabas, right? They're not like, hey, let's go do this. This sounds fun. Road trip, right? Like, that's not what they were thinking. So they were led by the Spirit to bring the gospel to those who hadn't heard it yet. And they were open to God's guidance to completely direct their lives, all right? Now, even though not all of us are called to go far, all right, not all of us are called to go to different countries or, or to move from your home state, right, to a different location to, to bring the gospel, not all of us do that. But we are all responsible to make sure that this happens, all right? We're all caught up in the same vision. We're all uh, ensuring that it occurs, right? We're responsible for the gospel to be spread. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, right before he ascended. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this passage is actually why our mission statement here at Valley Town is to make mature and mobilize disciples, right? We want to see the Word of God proclaimed, lives set free, for people to become followers of Jesus, and eventually, like, see them as they mature, right, become more like God, that we can send them out. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to send you to to Africa. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know. Like, God does, right? The Holy Spirit will be the one to tell us when that's the time, and you'll have the confirmation in your heart. Uh, But maybe it's just... You're going to be sent down the street to work, right? Maybe you're going to be sent to your, to your parents' house, right? Maybe you're going to be sent to Mount Snow or a restaurant, dots, right? Who knows where God's going to send you, but when you go, the Holy Spirit is the one who sends you, and your job is to represent his kingdom, right? So God not only calls you to do purposeful things for his glory, but he also sends others with you, all right? Biblically, we see a standard for this, right? Moses had Aaron, his brother, right? We see that Barak had Deborah. Gideon had his 300 men, right? David had his mighty men, right? We see that uh, Ben had Zach, right? When they were sent from Georgia, right? We see that even uh, in this movie, we see Gandalf had, what, Gimli and Legolas and Aragorn, right? They were sent out in a group, right? So, uh, and in, in fact, in the story that we read today, the passage, we see that Paul had Barnabas, Barnabas had Paul and they also had John Mark. They refer to him as John in this case. So, so God sends us out in pairs. He never sends us alone, because He wants us to be able to receive encouragement and accountability from other people, right? So that we we don't get discouraged halfway through the mission. All right. So, so my question for you is: Have have you connected at Valley Town, or, or maybe another church in the area? Are you connected to a group of believers that? That hold you accountable and want to see you fulfill the calling that God has on your life, right? Do you have people like Barnabas in your life that are going to encourage you, right, to pray for you, to help push you on towards all the things that God has for you, right? Or maybe are are we like John Mark, right? Are we there to help someone else fulfill their calling? Because oftentimes God wants us to be faithful in what is someone else's before he might give us our own. Right, so, so being able to have people serving in the kids' ministry, right? They're doing that because they think that it's worth it, right? Not only for the next generation, but also so that, right, parents are then welcome and are able to not be distracted by screaming kids, right? Which is fine, by the way. Don't worry, don't worry. I'm just, it's going to be fine. Uh, so, so do you have someone that you have a common passion to serve God with? Someone that will call you accountable when you're wrong? right? Someone that will correct the sin in your life, right? Are, are you connected with maybe a missional community, right? Do you have a, a group of believers that you can talk about the Bible with, right? Or you can, you can ask for prayer when things are going crazy in your life, right? God wants you to have partners, all right? God wants you to have, have people in your life that are going to encourage you, and he's already provided for them, right? He's already made them available to you. So, so pray about who that might be. Now, now sometimes when it comes to serving, we might consider ourselves too important to do something menial or humbling, right? But God wants us to actually be willing to serve all people. Jesus even said it this way. He said, the Son of Man doesn't come to be served, but to serve. All right? Jesus actually, at one point, washes his disciples' feet, right? The job of a servant. And he does that to demonstrate that the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who's the servant of all. All right, so, so that's what we want to do. We want to make sure that we're not so proud that we're not willing to serve, right? We, we know that it's worth it to bring the gospel to other people and to serve them. The second point I see in this passage is that we will encounter those who are seeking, all right, so that's one of the underlines, but still have false beliefs, all right? And, that, and that's actually okay. That's actually, that's okay, that's great. Uh, we love seeking people. All right, because we don't always get the answer right the first time. And God's not intimidated by the fact that there are people seeking and have come to wrong conclusions. God's not intimidated at all by that. Right, so, uh, so let's look at, at verse 6. It says, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and fought to hear, or sought to hear the word of God. Right, so a proconsul was uh, a Roman ruler, a governor essentially of uh, of a region that Rome ruled peacefully. All right, so imagine like, uh, you know, the governor of Vermont hears that, whoa, Southern Vermont's getting filled with disciples. What is going on in my state? I'm going to call Ben and Zach up here to find out what's happening. Right, that's essentially what happened. Right, like he he hears that stuff is going on and he wants to find out what's the truth behind this, but more so than that sergius was a spiritually seeking person all right think about who he had in his council right he had a jewish false prophet a magician right a guy who's essentially an astrologer in his council so he's clearly seeking truth right he's seeking spiritual things he knows that there's more to this world than just what meets the eye right so he was interested in the supernatural. Now, he didn't have a court magician like you would have a court jester, all right? He wasn't looking for entertainment with cards and mirrors, right? Magicians at that time, which we actually even see biblically in other uh, empires and eras, uh, we see like Moses when he enc- encountered Pharaoh, that Pharaoh had magicians, right? We see that Daniel in the, in the book of Daniel, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar, ruler of the Babylonian empire, he had magicians in his court. All right, and kings would have these guys in place so that they could, you know, maybe predict the future, read the stars, right, interpret dreams, things like that. But what's interesting is that they weren't just phonies, there actually may have been some supernatural force behind some of their demonstrations of power. All right, when Moses encountered Pharaoh, God said, go there, you know, show them that you can turn your hand leprous, and then when you put it back, it's back to normal. You know, show them that when you throw your rod on the ground, it turns into a serpent. And the magicians were actually able to mimic some of those miracles. All right? The danger is the fact that it's not just these guys doing tricks. In some cases, there's demonic forces behind them. All right? It's, it's supernatural that, that Satan will actually mimic miracles for the sake of deception. All right, the Bible actually says that Satan can come as an angel of light. All right, so we're actually supposed to test the spirits. We're not supposed to just believe whatever. You know, if we see like an angel show up and tell us something, we're like, that doesn't sound true. Like we should find out. We can actually hold them accountable, and we have the authority to do that. Um, and in fact, Satan is is so interested in being able to deceive people with false miracles that in the book of Revelation 13, this is an event taking place in the future that Satan will actually mimic the resurrection, all right? He will go as far to try to mimic what Jesus did being resurrected from the dead, right? So, he is interested in deceit, all right? So, regardless of the fact that Sergius had found some wrong answers, he was unsatisfied with them, all right? Sergius was, was you know, pulling all of this information, all of the spiritual You know, he's watching Oprah. He's watching Dr. Phil. He's like getting every bit of information he can, right? But he wasn't satisfied with them because he's seeking something real, all right? And he's seeking so much to the point that he calls for Paul and Barnabas to come and explain this to him because he knows there's something more going on. He knows that there's got to be something real out there and he wants to know what it is. Now, not only will we encounter seeking people, Alright, but we'll also encounter those who are opposed to God. Alright, that's my third point. They are blatantly trying to stop God's work. Alright? So so we've talked about in, in church here's uh, the the concept of, of people of peace, right? People that are are not necessarily believers, but that's fine. And and that they you know, they're interested in, in, in getting to know you. They're interested in, you know, hanging out. They might even come to church once in a while. They might be like, oh, you're doing an Easter egg hunt? That sounds great. I'll, I'll promote it at my business. Whatever the case may be, right, they're people of peace, all right? But now I'm talking about people that are not only opposed to the gospel themselves, they want to stop it from being spread to anyone else. And that's what we see in verse 8. It says, but Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So Christianity found both favor and persecution in the same location. And that's normal. All right? We're not expecting to just, like, you know, show up in town and, like, everyone's going to be super happy about Jesus. That's not the case. Actually, Jesus referred to himself as a a stumbling block. All right? That people have a hard time accepting what he has to say. And that's fine. Uh, So Elemis was not interested in the gospel himself, but also beyond that, he wanted to make sure Sergius wasn't going to believe the gospel. So this is where God finds particular offense with this, is that he's stopping other people from being free, all right? Right, in in, in the movie clip, we see Gandalf, right? Gandalf's an individual who had experienced death and new life. He, he shows up to bring liberty and freedom to release King Theoden from Essentially a possession where he was under the power of a wizard. I'll try not, I'm not even going to say his name because I'm just going to confuse you. I'm sorry. Uh, So, so right. So he shows up and and when he encounters Grima, this manipulative guy trying to subvert authority, trying to keep the kingdom enslaved, right? How does Gandalf respond? He, He responds really stern. Like he says some pretty sharp things to him, right? He says, be silent. Keep your forked tongue behind your teeth. I have not passed through fire and death to bandy crooked words with a witless worm, right? So he's like, I'm like, man, snap, Gandalf. Whoa, like burn. Take that, Grima, right? Like, like, that's crazy, right? Gandalf's like pretty harsh there. But check out the parallel with Paul. He too was once dead and has experienced newness of life, right? And he confronts demonic forces that are hindering people from hearing about God's love and experiencing freedom from sin, right? So, see how he responds to Elymas in verse nine. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, "You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord?" Whew. Wow. It's like, Paul, you're not going to win many people to Christ if you're that mean to them. Like, settle down, right? And just so you know, we're not going to have, like, five minutes of me calling people out on their sin today. That's, I, don't, I don't believe that's actually God's intent for us being here, so don't worry. That's good. You can calm down. Don't, don't pack up just yet. Uh, so notice who actually said this statement, right? Now, Paul was the one to spoke, uh, speak it, but it's actually the Holy Spirit that was speaking through him. Right, it said he was full of the Holy Spirit. All right, so so Paul, he might not even have, have known who Elemis was. Right, he might not have known the guy from Adam. Maybe he's heard about this guy or, know, you know, knew a little bit about his schemes. But even if not, the Holy Spirit did. God knew Elemis, all right? God knew what was going on in Elemis' life and wanted to confront his lifestyle because God was personally offended at it, all right? So... Uh, this concept of, of getting wisdom that maybe paul didn 't have it 's actually a gift of the spirit it 's talked about in first in corinthians twelve and there 's three kinds that maybe this could fit into as far as categories go there 's uh, the word of knowledge there 's a word of wisdom all right and then there 's also discernment of spirits where you can actually the Holy Spirit will reveal to you like there 's something off with what 's going on in this situation it 's more than just you know something political it 's more than just you know, people that are mad at you, there, there might actually be something demonic behind what's going on. Now, I'm not saying, like, let's go out and, like, find out where Satan's involved with everything, because a lot of times it's just people in their sin that, you know, we're going to be hurting one another and mad at one another, whatever. So, it's not always the devil, all right? So, so don't go thinking that. But, but in this case, it was. There was something demonic going on. This is where Elemas had gotten his power. And I also want to point out that, uh, God doesn't just go around blinding people who don't believe in him, all right? Uh, Elimus specifically was an individual that was caught up in the demonic, and he was also hindering the progress of the gospel, all right? So, so God's not just like, oh, you don't believe in me? Bam, bam, right? Like, that's not what he does. Uh, in fact, we, we love unbelievers. We, in fact, even would love someone like Elimus. We just know that at this time, that person would be a hindrance to other people being set free. Okay, so so the Holy Spirit was working through Paul, pointing out these truths in Elemas' life. So one of the things the Holy Spirit says, he calls him a son of a devil. Wow. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but did you know that not everyone is a child of God? In fact, no one is born that way. Uh, Jesus actually even called out uh, religious hypocrites in his day, saying that they were children of their father, satan okay uh and in fact he went beyond that and he even recognized like a family resemblance he's like you know what you guys remind me of you look just like your dad when you're lying like that you know or you're so full of pride you remind me of satan like he recognized a family resemblance in their attitudes and behaviors all right so we don't start as children of god all right and i'm not going to linger on that point too long because the good news is that God makes adoption available to us, right? He wants us in his family. And in fact, he gave his only son so that we would have the power to become children of God, all right? So we can actually be born again and then get God's nature and take after our new father, all right? So, so that's the good news, so don't linger there too long. Uh, so the Holy Spirit also said that Elamis made crooked the straight ways of the Lord or the straight paths of the Lord. Isaiah 5 talks about this concept. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. So guys, our culture celebrates sin. The culture we live in calls evil good. And that's one of the reasons why the gospel is particularly offensive in our day, all right? And that's okay, all right? So, like, it is going to offend for a moment, but it eventually brings so much freedom and liberty that it still is worth sharing because it is, in fact, good news, which is what gospel literally means. So, another thing to point out about Elemis, this is actually where I think his downfall was, he was actually a really religious person. He was a Jew. He came from traditions. uh, he, He came from... A lineage, right? Generations of Jews had, right, he grew up in knowing the truth about God, right? So this is all good stuff. But the problem was he mixed this with other spiritualities, right? He was, he was a magician. He was into astrology, right? He was probably into the demonic, right? Uh, and so that was, I think, his downfall, was that he ended up making a, a compromise. He, he blended truths together, now, in America, we blend many cultures together, which is actually a beautiful thing. In fact, I think that it's a picture of heaven. In heaven, the Bible says that there will be people from all nations represented there. So if you look around this room, this is not what heaven's probably going to look like. You'll see these faces there most likely, but you, you'll also see many other kinds of cultures and tribes and tongues represented, okay? So, so it's not just going to, you know, be a bunch of people that look like us. Now... Also in America, we blend opinions together. We compromise. We find the middle ground, which can also be really good, right? However, the problem lies in the fact that if we try to compromise the truth, that's harmful, all right? That's actually going to result in less truth as a result. So, and this is the idea. What is the midpoint between the truth and a lie? right? Now, as a mathematician, I could tell you the midpoint formula, but it's not going to help you because the midpoint between truth and a lie is a lie, all right? And in fact, it's actually more dangerous in that sense because it's got a kernel of the truth in it, and it's actually the tactic that Satan used way back in the day in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden when he when he confronted Eve, right? He brought into question God's honesty, right? He said, did he really say that, right? Like, he's He's bringing into question whether or not what was said was fully true. So when we compromise between right and wrong, we get something that is less right. So it's dangerous blending the different truths of this world. And oftentimes if we do so, we can actually end up believing what the Bible calls doctrines of demons. It talks about that in 1 Timothy 4. And in the, in the Old Testament, the Israelites actually mixed serving God and worshipping idols. All right? Think about this. They were in a culture where they right they'd be going to the temple and they'd be honoring the Sabbath and they'd be obeying the 10 commandments, maybe they'd be giving their tithes. They'd be doing like the the festivals and the feasts that they were all supposed to, right? But then at the same time, they were worshipping idols. All right? In fact, some of them actually worshiped an idol called Molech, where they would actually right in the midst of doing all of this godly stuff, right then they would be taking their living child burning them alive on an altar to this god of sex and it's like god wasn't cool with that he wasn't like ah oh, i guess they're really open minded like they're tolerant of other religions like like god wasn't actually cool with that in fact god was really serious about stopping that sort of behavior amongst his children and his people right and he actually uses the word adultery to describe that sort of behavior right when you're believing god and then also believing some other religion or worshiping some other idol as a result. And he talks about this in Ezekiel 6. He says, I was crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed from me, and by their eyes which play the harlot after their idols. Now, the word crushed is translated in other versions of the Bible as grieved. Like, it broke God's heart that these people were essentially cheating on him right? He calls it adultery. So believing and living out principles from false religions or new age or astrology or secularism or materialism is actually cheating on God. That's how he feels about it. And it's not like God's just like throwing some pity party like, oh, I hurt my feelings. Like, no, like, think about any, like, any person in a marriage that's been cheated on. Like, those are completely legitimate and justified feelings of jealousy. All right, and that's the way God feels about us when we're out messing around with with idols, essentially. So, so it is less truth, not more, when we seek what the world believes. So, redefining morality to fit with our uh, enlightened culture is actually making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. All right. So now, now don't get me wrong we should be humble in our opinions okay we should be loving when we express the truth but but some of this when it comes down to to what the bible says it's not even our opinion it's it's the truth of god it's what the holy spirit penned all right it's it's what god believes so it's not even like our opinion so when so when you see like ben zach or myself come up here and preach it's not like we're like "Eh, i don't like that verse i'm gonna skip that one you know like we actually can sometimes wrestle with what the bible says it's like man that's hard to believe like that's a hard truth to accept right but we still eventually yield and submit to what god's word says right because we know that when it comes down to it right god's gonna be right and we're gonna be wrong if i disagree with him uh and it's always better in the long run like i mean it's not like god just wants us to like obey for no reason it's for our benefit it's for the benefit of other people all right, And it actually does eventually set us more free. And, and we eventually do agree with God. It's not like we're just like, you know, kicking against it and screaming the whole time as like, ah, fine. You know, like, but I just want to point out, it, it's, it's not an opinion. It, it's God's truth. Um, now, <coughs> another point is, is remember that before Saul followed Jesus, right, he too was a religious man. In fact, he claims to be pretty much like the most religious guy in all of Israel. All right. He's got like all of the standards. He's hung out with all the rabbis. He's done all the stuff. Like he he grew up in the right family, in the right community. Right? But uh, at the same time, he was going around arresting Christians, persecuting them, endorsing the killing of Christians by throwing rocks at them repeatedly. And he's like, Here, I'll hold your jacket so you can throw a rock at that guy, right? Like and he actually thought he was doing this for the glory of God at the time, right? So he'd, he'd gotten mixed up. He'd mixed up truths and, and, and thought that God wanted this when, in fact, he didn't, all right? So this is my big idea. Halfway between the truth and a lie is a lie, all right? It's not like, you know, half truth, half lie. No, it's just a lie. That's all it is. And so, so what we believe matters, Belief is actually a really powerful thing because our thoughts lead to actions. The Bible says it this way in Proverbs. It says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? What we believe results in us doing things according to that belief. Think about Eve in the garden. She sinned as a result of her misbelief, right? She ended up believing like a half-truth or a lie and ended up making decisions based off of that misbelief. However, misbelief does not always result in our sin. Sometimes it results in us missing out on some blessings, all right? If, if I don't know what God says in his promises for me and my family and, and my church and, and what I should pray about, like, I'm not going to believe it, right? If, if I don't realize the inheritance that God has for his children, then I'm not going to live like I have an inheritance, right so that misbelief can result in me living in a way that's below what god actually wants for me right so so we miss out on god's blessings as well as the result of misbelief and belief is so important that it actually the bible even says is what brings us to salvation in romans 10 it says because if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved, right? For from within the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved, right? So belief matters, right? Belief matters, and we need to know what God really thinks about us, all right? God is so in love with us, all right? Just like that song before the sermon, God is so in love with us. Oh, how he loves us it's such a wonderful fact that it's worth pondering and singing songs about because god loves us and it's actually an unbelievable fact as we'll see later so so not only does god love us though but he also he hates sin he hates its destructive force in our lives he hates how it enslaves us he hates how it hurts us and the others around us and he's extremely serious about individuals that would hinder others from being free from sin. All right, And there are consequences for those who lead others to sin. In Matthew 18, Jesus talking, this isn't like necessarily a fun verse that people think about Jesus saying this, but it says, Whosoever receives one such a child in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin It would be better for him to have a great millstone Fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea Wow Loving jesus said this right wow and and we don't often see the scripture as a refrigerator magnet I don't understand why Like it's such a good verse. I didn't see any bumper stickers of this one Or i've never heard of a church called like millstone community church like like Such a good name, right? I don't don't get it, but so it turns out there's a great responsibility in bringing the truth to others in love, and sometimes we can try to soften a hard truth, but it actually only ends up causing further harm, all right. And and as a teacher of the Bible and, and now someone that's recognized as a pastor, I feel a huge deal of responsibility, and the Bible's really clear on this in James 3. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. God has a way higher degree of accountability for those who teach. Because of the the opportunity to mislead others. Right? So it is not lightly that I, I receive this. And certainly at times I will fail you all. All right? And God's grace is there for me. He'll still forgive me. All right? And God loves me but God also loves you. And he wouldn't want me mistreating his children, right? It's like if, if I really mess things up, like he's going to sternly correct any teacher that misleads others, all right? People that don't teach the truth. And sometimes it would seem easier to, to just come up here and, and for, you know, whoever's speaking to, to speak what we think people would like to hear or, or to preach on what is popular in our culture, Right? Or, like, I could just show up and be, like, and give spiritual approval of all manner of sin and unrighteousness so we could all go out and have an awesome party this week, right? But that would actually hurt God's kids. And being selfish for a minute, that would also hurt me because I'm the one he'd hold accountable, right? It's like if, if you got a babysitter to watch your kids and then you come home and your kids are shooting guns and lighting firecrackers, like, you're like, what are you doing? Like, those are my kids. Like, like God's serious about protecting his children. So, as a result, I would rather have the disapproval of a majority that I could live my life in a way that I gain the approval of one. So let's look at verse 11. It says, And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. So I think about, like, elements at this point he's probably just like well you make a pretty good point but i'm still right and he's like trying to like find his way out of the room like you're still wrong about that and like he's like Come help me out I, I don't know where i'm going like you know like he's like trying to still be proud in his his being right uh so so god demonstrates his power over the demonic and the false all right similar to pharaoh and his magicians right there were the 10 plagues for God to prove that he was the one that was powerful, right? To prove that Pharaoh was not God and to eventually result in Pharaoh being humbled and letting the Israelites go out of slavery, right? So God also demonstrates this with Elijah and the prophets of Baal, right? God demonstrates that he is the one that is in control, all right? So it seems that while well, uh he was spiritually blind, now temporarily, he's physically blind, all right, and remember the same thing happened to Saul before he had followed Jesus, and it seems as though uh, the Bible puts it this way: God humbles the proud, but gives grace to the humble, all right, so like God's not going to stand for someone you know being all proud and and arrogant in their ways when it's like if it's challenging what God says like he's he's going to make things clear for them some way, you know now uh important fact, I guess disclaimer. Uh, we as Christians shouldn't go out into the world today and blinding people, all right? So, like, don't, like, just, like, show up at dots and just be like, you're blind, you're blind, like, and just, like, that's not God's plan, all right, for you. I don't think any of you are called to do that today, I'm pretty sure. I don't, I don't think I even need to check with the Holy Spirit on that one. Um, so the objective is, is to win people to Jesus, to demonstrate God's love for them, all right? And, and people are not our enemies, all right, in Ephesians 6, the Bible says for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we're not fighting people, all right? So understand like if someone's really opposed to you or the gospel, they're not actually the enemy. They're the person that, that they're the person that we're trying to show God's love to, and there might be, not in all cases, but there might be something demonic going on behind the scenes all right so also don't run around thinking that the devil's behind everything either all right because he's not sometimes it's just people in their sin you know hurting one another that's sometimes what happens so in fact uh sometimes people are so caught up with like bringing down the justice of god right that jesus actually even you know confronted this in his own ministry in in uh, luke chapter 9 he and his disciples, they had gone to, through some village. And the, the people of the village were like, nah, you're crazy, Jesus. We don't want none of you, right? So, like, they're leaving the village. And a couple of his disciples are like, we're going to show Jesus how much faith we have. Like, he's going to be so proud of us. They're like, hey, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? Like, and thinking, like, Jesus is going to be really impressed. He's like, guys, get over here. And, he, and Jesus rebukes them. And they just go to another village, right? So God's not interested in, in like destroying people, right? He's trying to win people and demonstrate his love to them. And now let's look at the last verse from our passage, verse 12. It says, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. But catch this last part. It took me a few times to realize this. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now some synonyms for uh, astonished, right? He was astounded, dumbfounded, boggled stupefied, right? Sergius was flabbergasted, right, at the teachings of the Lord, okay? So it seems that while Elimus experienced the physical blindness, that Sergius ends up experiencing some spiritual sight, right? And notice that he believed not just because of what he saw, but because of what he heard, the teachings of the Lord. What is that? They told him about Jesus. The thing that was astounding ...was the story of the gospel. So he wasn't that impressed with the miracle. He was impressed with what they said... ...and the fact that what they said was true. So maybe you don't believe the Bible... ...because of like Noah's Ark... ...or, you know, parting the Red Sea... ...or the fact that some dude spent three days in the belly of a fish. But I tell you, those are actually terrible reasons not to believe the Bible. Alright? The most unbelievable thing in the Bible is the fact that God loves us, right? The fact that we sinners who are deserving of hell, right, have the opportunity for forgiveness. The fact that, like, God, right, loves us so much, he's full of love when we're just full of ourselves, that he came down to earth to die on a cross to make salvation available to us. That is the most unbelievable thing in the Bible. And to further make that point, consider the fact that, like, miracles aren't actually that unexpected. If you think about any creator, they usually can do something cool with their creation. All right? I said it earlier. I I think about, like, Notch, the guy who uh, created the game Minecraft. If he can go into his game and make a little block that shoots out infinitely many pieces of bread, that's actually not that impressive. You just as a programmer. You go in there, change a little parameter, and bam, it's like spitting out bread. Right? So why are we so impressed when Jesus shows up and he's like, bless this bread, Lord, and he's like, bam, here's some bread for everybody. Like, that's actually not that unexpected for a creator to be able to do that. But what is unexpected is that a creator would so fall in love with his creation that he'd be willing to die for it. That is unexpected. That is unbelievable. And in fact, think about any of the world's false religions. The gods of those religions are either apathetic towards humanity or they have conditional love based on the fact of like, you need to serve me and worship me for X number of years or do X number of things and then I'll love you. But that's not how our God is. The God of the Bible loves us when we were yet his enemies. And in fact, he commands us, his followers, to also love our enemies, to pray for them, right? So, even more miraculous than God creating everything in six days is the fact that when you choose to follow Jesus for the first time, he creates brand new life in you instantly. Not in six days, instantly. That is... Is unbelievable. And it's so cool, and we see it all the time because we see lives changed by the power of the gospel. In fact, uh, later on in Corinthians, it says that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God unto salvation. All right, so like the most powerful thing that God ever did was not making the world, was not like healing people, right, wasn't multiplying bread right, is the fact that he saved all of mankind or made salvation available to them in the moment he died on the cross. That is the most powerful thing he ever did, was overcome sin. So point number four is that the most astonishing thing in the Bible is that God loves me. That is what Sergius was astonished by. So, In fact, King David in Psalms 8, he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Right? I mean, thinking about like a creator making mankind, like, why do you even think about us, God? Is essentially what King David is saying. Like, I don't even get it. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Why do you even think about us? So the miracle in today's passage only verified the claims that were already made by Paul and Barnabas. Okay, so Sergius believed at the moment of the miracle, but only because he was astonished that what was said prior to the miracle must have been true. So he could now believe the unbelievable, that God loved him. And, and God typically does this. He verifies his word with some sort of, of sign or miracle, all right, or with the demonstration of, a whole, of, the, of the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus's victory over sin and death was verified in his resurrection. Our salvation is sealed by the Holy Spirit inside of us, right? God demonstrates the truth of his word through the actions of his Holy Spirit. And that's point five. The Holy Spirit confirms the message. In Mark 16, all right, after Jesus says the Great Commission, he ascends and his disciples head out. It says, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So how do we know the truth? Through the Holy Spirit. In John 15, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. All right. How do we know the truth? From the Bible. Because the Bible is the inspired word of God. All right. How do we know if someone's a false prophet? All right. We weigh what they say against the word of God. All right? Or we weigh the, the type of prophecy they're doing. And in 1 Corinthians, it talks about that prophecy should edify, exhort, and comfort the church. All right? We also might have someone that operates in a gift of the Holy Spirit to call out a false prophet. Right? The gifts of the, the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, maybe there will be a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. All right? Or maybe the gift of discernment where they'll be able to recognize something in what they're saying is not from God. How do we know if a preacher we listen to tells the truth? We weigh it against the Bible, all right? Because there are going to be many preachers in the end days, the Bible says, that will just tickle your ears and tell you, tell you what you want to hear, all right? But we weigh what they say against the truth of God. And we're supposed to do that according to 2 Timothy 3. Uh, 3. And we'll see later on in Acts, these people called the Bereans, they didn't even believe Paul at what he said. It says they spent day and night studying the scriptures to figure out, is what Paul says true? So anytime anyone comes up here and speaks, it's actually your guys' responsibility to confirm it, all right? That you should have some affirmation from the Holy Spirit inside of you. You should weigh it against the scriptures, right? You should pray about it, stuff like that. Let's have the band come up, and uh, in a moment we'll have an opportunity to respond uh, to this message. And, and perhaps some of you might be like Sergius, all right? You're a, a spiritually seeking person, and that's actually an awesome place to be. And I'm not going to try to, like, push you past that into making a decision for Christ that you're not ready for, because that's not what I'm about. But I do want to give you opportunity to continue seeking after God, all right? And in fact, the Bible says that if you seek him, you will find him. So you are absolutely welcome here, if you don't believe in Jesus, right? Keep coming, investigate this, go to a missional community, find out what's true. Read this Bible for yourself, all right? So so you might just be like a person that's seeking. You might think like, there's got to be more to life than just permutations of atoms that eventually resulted in in life springing forth, right? There's got to be more to just this physical world, and there is, so keep seeking. And God's not intimidated by the fact that Maybe you found some other answers but you're unsatisfied with them. You will eventually find the truth. So I'd recommend that you open your life to his kindness, all right? He will show himself powerful in your life. Our God is mighty to save. All of the turmoil, all of the struggles you have in your life, I wanna let you know that God is near to you. The Bible actually says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What that means is, He's within arm's reach. So in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to just do business with God, that you'll be able to reach out to him. The rest of us probably have some similarities with Elamis, where we compromise the truth. There's probably things that we believe that aren't true or are half-truths. So I'd ask that we would pray, the rest of us would pray, and ask God, where do we compromise? What do I believe that is a lie? Or what truth do I not believe enough? Right? And ways to respond to that, we should actually right, read the Bible this week. We should pray, ask God to reveal that to us. We should maybe ask our spouse or our close Christian friend. Maybe connect with a missional community right, and, and discuss that this week there. And imagine if we all lived believing what God said was true. Whenever we'd fight, we'd fight as though it counts. We would take risks for the opportunity, for the chance that someone would get to know and experience God's love, right? We would, we would invest for that outcome to happen, right? So in a moment, we're going to worship God. We do that in response to his truth because he's, he's the creator, he's powerful, and he loves us. We worship him for who he is and what he's done. We'll also have the offering buckets will be passed uh, during this first worship song. So you can give into the offering. You can also put the connect card in there. And the reason we give, let me tell you this little side note about Sergius Paulus. Archaeologically speaking, they found his name, right, carved in etched in stones and on Cyprus as well as in Rome. And they found out that his family lived in Antioch of Pisidia, which is the next city that we find Paul and Barnabas going to. So it's thought that perhaps after he encountered God the way he did, he might have given Paul and Barnabas a letter of introduction saying, Please go to my hometown. Go tell my friends and my family. I'll pay for you to go on this next missions trip because this matters to me. I want to see them set free. And that's where they went next. So we give because we believe this message sets people free. We believe it's worth planting new churches. We believe it's worth having more people hear the gospel because we've seen so many lives changed in this valley and we don't want to hoard it all to ourselves. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, uh, that you chose not to let us live believing a lie. That you make the truth available to us. That, Lord, your scripture, your word has endured throughout history, and you protected it. You kept it safe so that we might have it. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lead us into all truth. That those seeking will be able to hear your voice. That, Holy Spirit, you will convict of sin but not for the sake of condemnation, but for the sake of liberation. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will impress on our hearts, that you'd search out our hearts and our minds and expose the things that we believe that are lies, that we might come to know your truth more completely, that we might be able to live our lives in a way that counts, in a way that matters, that we would be able to be free from sin but also experience the blessings that you have for us. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen.